Well, hi there, I'm Ethan, if I've not met you before. I'm a resident here at the Norton campus and I help lead kind of our young adult ministry as well as students and get to hang out there. Um, love for you, if you got a Bible, get it to Galatians chapter five. Get that ready to go because we're gonna jump in here pretty quickly. And uh, let me tell you a little bit about myself. Uh, I just got married about two years ago. And so if you're doing your math right, we decided to get married in a worldwide pandemic in the middle of that. So that was an adventure to say the very least. Uh, and marriage has been this awesome adventure ever since then. And recently we just had a, we have a four month old kid now. And so his name is Denver and he is awesome. He is just uh, lighting up life for us a lot because his smile is so contagious and he just has kind of this very fun personality that we are just really enjoying. But I remember when he was born, he was born um, back in June. And back in June, we had like 48 hours of just crazy intense craziness happening, right? Like uh, he's being born, labor intensiveness, all that. But then after he was born, it was just like doctors and nurses are coming in, constantly checking on him, making sure he's okay, weighing him, looking at everything, checking vitals, all that stuff. And, and I just remember my wife and I, we are just so emotional and exhausted after the whole experience that after the nurses and doctors kept coming in, it felt like we were watching their kid, that we were just kind of babysitting their kid. And no, you go out, enjoy a great night on the town. We got him, we'll watch him for a little while. And, and then all of a sudden they looked at us and they're like, okay, you ready to go? We're like, where, where are we going? And they're like, here's the car seat, put him in the car seat, put him in the car and you're off. And so we're driving and I just remember driving, looking over at my wife, just thinking what in the world are we doing? And I just remember thinking, looking back in the mirror and seeing him and going, where's this kid's parents, right? Like, we're just like, what is going on here? And so we get him home, he gets to meet some of our family and we're really excited. Now his family, we get to share a moment together and then we go to bed and you know, we sleep in maybe two hours at a time, just checking, seeing if he's breathing, seeing if he's eating, seeing whatever he needs. Like we're all there, all focused. And then we get ready for our first appointment. And so my wife dresses him up in this really cute outfit, kind of first ever at home outfit. And so we're getting him ready to go and we're just so excited about it. We snap a quick picture, we kind of clean him up and send him out. And so we're out there taking him to the, pedi uh, the pediatrician, checking him out and they weigh him, they make sure everything's healthy, looking great, he was perfect. We come back home and on our way home, I'm like, Kimmy, uh, what's the picture like what could could we see the picture like how'd that turn out and she looks at it and she goes oh my gosh you won't believe what we captured and i said okay let me see and this is the picture that we captured isn't that awesome right right in the middle of just absolute spit up my boy just puked right and we had to clean it all up get it ready to go people ask me how parenting's going how i like being a dad i had this picture in my brain this utopia kind of picture that things were going to be awesome and perfect and he would never spit up and he would never poop in his diaper or make a mess outside of his diaper if you know what i mean like we were just going to have a great awesome thing where i just hold him and he'd just laugh and he'd smile and he'd sleep like an angel and 
And I had this utopia kind of picture of parenting in my brain that absolutely has gone uh, haywire. It's like a war zone. Things are flying. We're ready to go. Kimmy and I are kind of bunkered down in our home trying to figure this thing out. And we've said this, that as we jumped into this series, Aiden said that a lot of times we can look at life and look at it as this utopia kind of picture that we can build this false narrative or this false idea of what life's supposed to look like. But we're actually not in a utopia. We're in a war zone. And that we have three enemies that are attacking our souls, that are working together to wreak havoc on our lives. And you find this all throughout Scripture. And you also find this all in like ancient followers of Jesus' teachings, right? That uh, there, there was a one guy, his name was Abba John the Dwarf, which is just an awesome name. He says this, he says, Just as you can't stop air coming into your lungs, you cannot stop evil thoughts coming into your mind. Your part is to resist them. And he says, fighting is good for the soul. That the war that we're in, it's not a culture war. It's not a war against another nation. But we are in a war against lies. That our job is to stand in the truth and resist the lies that are coming in at us. And we've been using this picture uh, throughout this series that the devil, Dan said this, that he's the father of lies. That he was Jesus. That he's the, Jesus said he's the father of lies. And that he lies to our flesh, he lies to these desires that then are normalized in our world that then becomes under the influence of the devil. So if you're at Galatians chapter 5, let's read it together. It'll be on here. Galatians 5.16, it says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. They're sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit, well, that's love. It's joy. It's peace. It's forbearance. It's kindness. It's goodness. It's faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Would you pray with me? Father, we want to hear from you. And I pray that you would remove distractions in me. Pray that you would remove distractions in us. And God, that you would speak to us in the way that you see fit. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When we think about the flesh, what is the flesh? That's a good place to start. What's the flesh? There's three ways kind of the New Testament talks about the flesh. The first way is simply this, that it's your body. It's your skin, right? Like your flesh. The second kind of way that it looks at it is it's like talking about humanity, that your flesh is like we're born into flesh. We're born as people, like humanity as a whole. The third kind of way that we're going to look at today is this rebellion that's in us to God, this kind of sin that's within us, this brokenness within humanity, these seeds of sin, the sickness that's 
corrupted kind of our hearts that are lodged deep within our souls. It's our flesh. But to a lot of us, if we're honest, it just doesn't feel right. Like that, that doesn't feel like we're not that bad, right? A lot of times we can think that. And Aiden a couple weeks ago stated a, a, a study that was done recently of that 65% of evangelical Christians believe humans are born innocent. And we listen to our favorite theologians. You listen to your favorite theologians all the time, right? Like Luke Bryan. The most people are good. I'm going to try not to sing it, but I believe most people are good. And most mamas ought to qualify for sainthood. I believe most Friday nights look better under neon or stadium lights. I believe you love who you love. Ain't nothing you should ever be ashamed of. I believe this world ain't half as bad as it looks. I believe most people are good. But when we look at the New Testament, we would find tension there. That not all most people are good, but actually at best humanity is like this mixed bag. When you look at scriptures, humanity is like this mixed bag that we were created good, but we've gotten sick with our sin. That if we go back to an ancient conversation in the garden where we look at the devil, he lies to our human desires. Watch this in Genesis chapter 3. The devil talks to Eve and he says this, For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. Stop there for a second. Whose image was humanity created in? God's, right? God's image. And then he says, you'll know good and evil. We got to stop there again because who's been defining good? If you flip back a page, you could do it right there. Like flip back a page, you'll see that God throughout as he's created everything has gone this is good this is good this is good this is good that god's been the one that's defining good and what's evil but then what happens the next verse it says when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good she believed it lie for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom she took some and ate it she also gave it to her husband who was with her. Rather than trusting God, Eve, in this moment, what she decided to do was trust her own desires. She looked at her desires and thought that they were good and thought that they were ultimate. And she trusts her desires. And at that moment, sin entered our world from Adam and Eve and their desires, and it has spread to all of humanity. That Romans 5 talks about it like this, that therefore, just as, one, as sin entered the world through one man, Death through sin, in this, way, uh, in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. We, we've said it like this, that we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. That we don't just do bad things because sometimes we're bad. <laughs> but we are fundamentally corrupt. We're fundamentally, something's wrong. These disordered desires that we have... Uh, St. Augustine said it this way, that the essence of sin is disordered loves. We'll, we'll say it like this, that my flesh are desires that become disordered. And even if you're not a follower of Jesus, even if you're not sure what you think about the New Testament or Scripture in general, you, whatever you think, we can all kind of agree with this, that we all have this inner talk within us. We all have this inner tension or conflict. It shows up like this when you're at the grocery store and you're getting ready to check out and you see that picture of the pizza 
and you're like, man, that pizza looks great. It's got bacon, sausage, green peppers, onions, stuffed crust, extra cheese, all the works and fixings. And then right next to that picture of the pizza, you see a picture of Chris Hemsworth and he's getting jacked for the next Thor movie, right? And you're like, how in the world do I have the pizza and look like that? Like I want both of those things. Maybe it shows up for you. You're like, man, I wanna read a really good book and I just wanna kinda gain knowledge or just enjoy a nice uh, novel. But then at the same time, you're like, man, I just spent two hours dinking around kinda on my phone. Or maybe for you, it's like, I wanna be a great husband or a great mom, but I also want to spend a, another hour at work. Whatever it is for us, we have these tensions that are deep within us. The, the devil actually has a way, we said this last week, that he lies to our flesh. He lies to these desires that are disordered in us and to try and find satisfaction in them. If you could imagine this, imagine a piano, like a grand piano and you open up that lid in the grand piano, if you were to sing a note and you had good enough pitch, you could sing a note and it would start vibrating or uh, resonating the string, start moving the string that's corresponding to the note that you're singing, right? And that's exactly how Satan works. He opens the lid of our flesh, of our hearts, of our disordered desires, and he sings a lie and it starts to vibrate, it starts to resonate, it starts to move within me. And that Satan sings this personal note in my flesh and in my life, and then my, my disordered desires, they just keep playing on it. They just keep playing on it, they keep letting it resonate, that then it becomes this beat, it becomes this music that I do life to, and how I play life. That Romans 1 says it like this, that for they exchange the truth of God for a lie, and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever, amen. Satan wants us back on the hamster wheel. He gets us right back on the hamster wheel by resonating this note that's within me. My grandpa loved this older movie uh, that came out back in the 90s, uh, What About Bob, if you've ever seen it. And what about Bob? He, I mean, this, he's a patient uh, to this therapist, and this patient, he's just really needy. Bob is really a needy person. He's got tons of issues. He's got hot sweats, cold sweats, fingernail sensitivity, dead hands, all of it. He, and he, what he does is he travels to, uh, he follows his therapist on their family vacation, and he gets to this moment where he's kind of way out of bounds of kind of their relationship, and he just gets to this moment, and he's like, give me, give me, I need, I need, I'm doing the work, I'm baby stepping, give me, give me, please, right? And he's just begging for help. I think about that line that my grandpa used to quote from that movie, and it reminds me a lot about our flesh that our flesh is constantly in this sense of need, that we have these aches and we have these desires that are deep within us that we don't know what to do with. And what Satan does is he comes and he tees up an appetite. It, a lot of it are these aches that we have this, in, we have an ache for intimacy, for joy, for peace, for self-control, for love. And so what Satan does is he distracts and throws an appetite in there for casual sex, pleasure of any kind, food, laziness, distraction, my political ideologies, my cheap kind of find for romance. And that these deep, I have these deep desires that are kind of overcome by these strong immediate fixes that really don't help. That Satan wants to start vibrating and resonating the note that's within me so what does this look like? Because we all have it. 
what, what's it show up as? Paul kind of says it this way. He says in verse uh, Galatians 5.16, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. That we are in rebellion against God. That my flesh, it attempts to be fulfilled and free of God. That's ultimately what our flesh wants, that we want to be fulfilled but free of God. And the one, maybe one of the easiest ways we do that is we just kind of rebel. That Satan sings this lie of rebellion that sings to this note within us, that plays to this note within us, that I'm supposed to trust myself for what is good. And so I'll define evil things as good things. And that I'll just try and make uh, things happen in my life to find satisfaction in material things, in my money, in my food, my Netflix, my gaming, my gorging myself on pleasure. That I'll start to maybe over drink or have sexual fantasies. And it shows up like this. Satan, he, he lies to our flesh and it sounds like this. The heart wants what the heart wants. Follow your heart. You do you. What feels good is good as long as it doesn't hurt anyone. That Satan, he's even sneakier than just maybe the big rebellion that we look at. But he does these little micro-rebellions within us. We have these micro-rebellions that maybe I'm single, and you're, you're, maybe you're single, and, and you feel like, man, if I can just get married, <laughs> then I'll be fulfilled. It's doing it free of God. Maybe, maybe you're married, and you're like, man, I just, if I could just get my spouse to act a certain way or do a certain thing, then I'll feel... Or if I can get that career that once I'm in that office and once I'm making that amount of money, my body, once I get that certain image that I've been trying to attain, that Satan, he kind of has these micro-rebellions that we can form within us and we find ourselves then free to sin. We create kind of this license for us to sin and we call it a bunch of things. We call it being individual or freedom or rights or my, this is me being authentic or my own autonomy. But it's all this attempt to kind of feed our own flesh. And we cue the line from Frozen. No right, no wrong, no rules for me, I'm free. And the music that starts to play, the note that starts to hum and resonate, is it's this gospel that I do whatever I want, which is really no gospel. It's this note, this music that I do whatever I want, but there's another note that Paul points out. He says this in Galatians 5, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. That if you look all throughout Galatians, the whole thing, they're under this law, this religion, this traditional religion that Satan, the devil, has a way of singing the lie of religion to us. That I can trust myself to be good apart from God. That I am good enough to be apart from God. That I can live a good enough life. I can be a good Christian. I can impress other people. I can get on God's good side and then somehow God will owe me. That I can follow all the rules and not break. But what starts to form is this comparison with one another. It starts to form in my sense of trying to pervert it and control things. It's my sense of trying to, it, it starts causing division and judgmentalism. And the devil is sneaky. He's sneaky. He'll say it in our churches that if we could just get our life a little bit more together, if we could just stop sinning, 
if we could just clean up our act and then what will happen is we'll form these disagreements with each other about how good we are or about how good they're not. And we'll start to form disunity in groups of, around these agreements that we have rather than focus on the family of God. And in our attempts to try and live life on our own, doing religion, we have this legalism that suffocates ourselves and suffocates each other. That we make it into this gospel of sin management, that if I can just get these things cleaned up in my own life, then I'll be good. Or if you could just get those things cleaned up, then you can be a part of our thing. Right? And we create this gospel. Whether we run to rebellion, whether we run to religion, they're both an attempt for us to feed our flesh, for us to trust in ourselves, and we become so self-absorbed. Paul wants to give another principle that in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, he says it this way. He says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. He says, A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. But whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. This is a basic principle that Paul's uh, using here. When it comes to spiritual things, he's using a basic principle that what gets planted gets grown. That if I plant an apple tree, I grow an apple tree. If I plant a pear tree, I grow a pear tree. That uh, we say it in different ways. What goes around comes around. No pain, no gain. You get out of it what you put into it. Garbage in, garbage out. That God can't be mocked. It's the way he set up life. That our flesh, it's disguised as freedom, but it's really enslavement. That's the principle Paul's trying to get at. That our flesh, it's disguised as this freedom, but it's really enslavement. That if I believe a lie... I then live into that lie, and then eventually I become that lie. That what happens is if I hear the lie, and it starts resonating this note within me, I start playing music. That's how the music I play in my life, and then I just play into that. That it becomes the, this beat that I live by, this background that I live by, and I end up in a prison yard, or I end up enslaved in this rebellion or religion, whatever it is for you. St. Augustine, he called it the shackles of gratification. That I make a choice, and if I make the choice to believe a lie, it starts to form this chain that then I live into a habit of believing those lies, that then I live into a compulsion where I can't stop living those lies, that then becomes this chain where I'm chained to my choice that I make. that I try to be free of God. And I think I'm free, but I'm actually a slave to my sin. I said another way, we make decisions, but then eventually our decisions, they make us. That we might think we're breaking God's rules when actually in reality we're breaking ourselves. Have you ever seen um, the movie, The Christmas Story? Uh, there's, there's a scene, the, one of the most iconic scenes in the movie, if, if you remember, in the Christmas story, Flick is out in the at recess and Ralph's out there with him and there's this like duel going on where Flick gets double dog dared in the middle of winter to stick his tongue onto a flagpole. And Flick's like, there's no way it's going to stick. But they're like, nope, if you don't think it's going to stick, then I triple dog dare you to put your tongue on the flagpole. 
And what's Flick do? He believes the lie that his tongue will not stick to the flagpole. And what happens? His tongue sticks to the flagpole. And then he's left there by himself, stuck to a flagpole. He had the ultimate freedom to choose where he wanted to, to move, right? And then all of a sudden, he gets stuck. He gets stuck, and that's exactly how Satan wants it to work, that he wants our desires to kick in for this rebellion against God or this religion, but ultimately we get stuck to a flagpole of our own choices. So what do we do? How, how do we escape the flagpole if we're stuck? I think what Paul wants us to look at is that we, we have to have this resilient faith Galatians 5 says it like this, 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. That the way we, need, we live life is to crucify my flesh and walk with the Spirit. That the way we crucify our flesh is to walk with the Spirit. And to walk with the Spirit is to crucify my flesh. I don't know about you, but I feel confused, right? Like that language can sometimes be confusing. What in the world are we talking about? Picture glass for a moment. Picture glass. And in, in the glass that you have, a lot of times, if I, if I asked you, man, how do you get the air out of the glass? Sometimes what you know, maybe some of you would come up with is putting a pump on it and sucking out all the air. We just need to get the air sucked out of it. Right? But if you did that, what would happen is it would create this vacuum in the glass, which would end up shattering the glass. A lot of times, what, what we need is we need to fill the glass. And so what we fill it with is we fill it with our rebellion. We fill it with our religion. We have these desires that we just fill with our rebellion or religion, and what ends up happening is we go to the soda pop machine. We fill it with rebellion in whatever way we want to. We fill it with religion in whatever way we want to. And it starts to fill bubbles and it starts to move in us, right? And what happens is we just keep going back to the soda machine. We keep going back to our desires. But what Paul wants us to do is not try and suck out all of the sin that's in our life. He doesn't want us to just try and suck suck off. But the way we do it is we crucify our flesh by walking with the Spirit. We need something new. We need water, maybe. We need to walk with the Spirit, and as we walk with the Spirit, we, we go, you know what, I'm not going to go to the soda pop machine anymore. I'm going to crucify my flesh. I'm not going to trust it. I'm not going to coddle it. I'm not going to drink it anymore. But I look to the one who came in the flesh to die for my flesh. I look to the one who is Jesus, who set me free from the chains of my own choices. I stand in a daily reminder of the gospel, that I'm not a slave to religion anymore, I'm not a slave to my rebellion anymore, but I am in relationship with God because of Jesus' work on the cross, that I'm a child of God, I'm loved by God, I was created for good, that I die to my flesh, I die to my desires and myself, and I start singing on a new note. I start singing on the truth of God, I start walking with the Spirit, and the Spirit's job is to do two things. The Spirit's job is to make sense, the, the Spirit of truth is to make sense of the Word of truth. That I'm supposed to understand that when, when I read Scripture, the Spirit's job is to lighten that up for me, to make sense of it to me. 
The Spirit's job, too, is to make Jesus start forming in me. That I, I live by this question of how would Jesus live his life if he were me? If Jesus were a West, in the West, an, an American, if Jesus were 15, 19, 74, 35 years old, if Jesus were male, female, if he was a mom, a dad, if he was a single person, a student, how would Jesus live his life in his ordinary, everyday life? Because the Spirit of Jesus is working. That's what it means. So, so when I walk with the Spirit, I recognize that he's working already. When I walk with the Spirit, it's what Paul says, I'm working out my salvation in Philippians. He says it like that. And I love this language of walk because it's this slow, continuous, habitual thing. It's not like a sprint. It's not like a run. It's just kind of slow. But what happens is it starts to do something. I, I think of um, a time I was hanging out with one of our campus pastors. We were on a, a hike. We were on a backpacking trip. And I asked him a question, and I forget exactly what question, but something like, uh, what do you do to follow Jesus every day? Something like that. And he said, one of the best things that I do is I practice telling myself no every day. Which I thought was a weird thing to say. I'm like, what, what do you mean you practice telling yourself no? And he said, yeah, when I walk by the candy jar in the office, I just say, you know what, I really do want the candy, but I'm gonna tell myself no. And I just thought that was so weird, but I started thinking about it and I started practicing it a little bit. And it's kind of like this punk rock revolt against ourselves. That everybody's so used to like feeding their own desires that it's just little things to say no to that I say, say no to my small desires to say yes to my deepest desire. That I say no to my flesh to say yes to Jesus. And I, I triple dog dare you <laughs> to try it. I triple dog dare you to try it. Make a game of it somehow. Like when you say no to food and say yes to God, you'll feel like this kind of punk rock revolt. When, when you say no to social media, yes to God, no to TV, yes to God, no to, this one's personal, no to coffee, and yes to God. That we have these moments where we can practice in small ways to say no to our own desires, so that way when we practice in the small ways, we're okay to say it in the big ways. And I don't know what it is, but whatever it is might be, I need to say no to it this week to say yes to God. And when we keep on practicing what happens, we keep on practicing walking with the Spirit, crucifying our flesh. Have you ever met somebody who's done that for like 30, 40, 50 years? If they've been following Jesus, they've been crucifying their flesh, they walk with Jesus. The way I would describe them is, man, they are full of love, joy, peace. They're so, so kind. They're gentle. They, they just are, they have this beautiful life that is full, but it, it's not only full, it like overflows. It overflows. And, and Paul gives this vision of like spiritual maturity. Galatians 5, he kind of tags on this line at the very end of it. In verse 26, he says, let us, he's talking to a church, us, not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Let, let's not just keep filling our flesh. Let's not just keep going to the soda pop machine and indulging ourselves. But actually when we walk with the Spirit, when we get on a new rhythm, when we get on a new note, new music, 
We crucify our flesh. We walk with the Spirit, and then we're free to serve others. It's free to spill out onto other people. I, I know maybe some of you, you, you just, you feel it. You're, you're in a shattered life of your rebellion that you just feel like you keep going to the pop machine looking for something to fill you, this desire to satisfy. And it never really does that we're actually chained to our own choices and our own rebellion. Some of you, you've been chained to the choice of religion and you're just exhausted. You're exhausted by trying to maybe suck out the sin in your life to try and get out of this note that you're living in. And what, what Jesus' invitation is, is for us not to trust ourselves, but to trust him. That he wants to free us of the choices that we found ourselves chained in. Paul says it like this. He, he invites us into this new life. In Romans 8, he says, Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the flesh and what the flesh desires. But those who live accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The question is, do we want that? Do we want to run into that? So, Father, would you forgive us? Forgive us of our desires that, that have been so disordered in us. We deeply desire to walk by a new note of truth, not the strong desires that come and go in fleeting moments. Help us to live into grace, to crucify our disordered desires, and to walk in new relationship with you. And God, when we get discouraged and we get disappointed, would you remind us that you're the one ultimately transforming us? It's your spirit. Let us be a good family to one another, one that reflects and full of love and spills out joy and spills out peace. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.